Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and the founding pastor of Mercy Community Church in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. We continue this week in the very first chapter of John, verses 35 through 51. We see and hear lots of invitation and open doors and open questions. The author masterfully directs our attention as much by what he doesn't say as by what he does. Come and see, the text says, more than once, but then it doesn't report what they saw, maybe inviting us to come and see ourselves. Through poetry, through double meanings, and through straight-up silence, our author opens up space for truths that lie beyond language. Thanks for being Hello, Bobby. Hey, Amy. How are you this week? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I shouldn't say good. Well, I'm trying to do good. Yeah, you're trying to do good. I try to do good. I like it. Mm -hmm. You're doing good good really well. (laughs) You're doing well and doing good. (laughs) Uh, It's good to see you. This is like a, I don't know, I feel very, um, like the pace of life is very quick right now. And and it's, it's good to have this like regular time that we do this every week. Like this is one of the most regular things that I do. I do it when I'm traveling. I do it when yeah. I'm not traveling. I do it. I don't know. Yeah, that's Good. really, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but like, I like that. It's like the Bible room is the anchor <laughs> around which life revolves. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I was on family leave last semester and I'm on sabbatical in the coming semester, mm. which is really great in a lot of ways. But one of the ways in which it is difficult is that my life has absolutely zero structure. It is like a massive blur of parenting and trying to like write stuff. And so Bible worm is one time that's set where I'm like, Nope, I I have to do Bible worm and I get to see you. I get to chat about how much I like doing Bible (laughs) worm. This is very meta. (laughs) Now Bible worm is talking about how Bible worm loves Bible worm. Wow. That's deep. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, no, it's so regular that I um I texted Bobby this morning one minute after the time that we're supposed to meet and was like, what time are we meeting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're are like, we meeting today? chill, <laughs> like, sister. It used chill. to be, when we first started out, it'd be like, you know, it was like plus or minus 30 minutes. I'd be like, <laughs> no, it today was we're going to talk at three. And then it would be like three. It was three. so delightfully on time. It was yeah. a little ridiculous. I but set I high loved expectations. It. And today I was one minute late and I get a text. It's like, are we talking today? <laughs> I just checking. I was just uh, checking. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll do Good. better. I'll do better. I promise. You better. This is a this is a top priority. I'll do well. I'll do good. <laughs> do good. It'll be good for me to do well. Do good. Well, and do well. I will do good. <sighs> Bobby, we're still in John chapter one. We are. This is week three in the same chapter. It is amazing to read a text verse by verse. We're not going to keep doing that forever, but it's been kind of good in this first little bit of it's John. It's beautiful. It's very much like an actual worm. 
wriggling, <laughs> slowly gnawing our slowly. way through the scripture. No, I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I told you last time, I, I love it. It feels really luxurious. Yeah, no, I, I wish agree. I could luxuriate in the scripture of my people, but I will luxuriate in the scripture <laughs> of your people. That's, that's fine. We'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Someday we can luxuriate in the scriptures of your people. Yeah. We do that sometime. Well, we yeah, do we'll sort of do that. Yeah, it's very rare, I feel like, that we're actually, like, in the same... Sometimes we're in the same book for two weeks in a row. It is very rare that we're in the same chapter for two weeks in a row when we're in the Hebrew scripture side. True. That's Mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. But today we are in the same chapter. We are in John chapter 1, picking up in the very next verse, verse 35, and going to the end of the chapter, which is verse 51. Yeah, so last week we were talking about... We're reading about when the Jewish leaders came and talked to John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. as he's called in other Gospels, about Jesus and has relationship to John and so on. And then this week we're moving on from that sort of like the authorities questioning who Jesus is to the actual sort of calling of the disciples. So that's sort of our transition that we're making between verse 34 and verse 35. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would say the authorities were questioning who John is. Oh, that's a fair, yes. Not really who Jesus is. John answers by saying who Jesus is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was really helpful, Amy. Thank you for that, because I was just being a little sloppy there. I'm not doing no, that, well. That's okay. <laughs> but I'm doing good. Okay. I'm doing good. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. So we'll just pick up then in verse 35. Let's do it. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I love how your like your intonation of what are you looking for? My, my intonation is like, what are you looking for? You <laughs> like, know, okay, like, so dude, stop you following me. <laughs> it's so it is yeah. The the it's so I thought maybe it was me reading this as a female in a in a world where females are or I should say I as a female am concerned when I yeah. think someone is following yeah. me. Like it's kind of an act of aggression. Yeah. And so I I was I've I'm unsure how to read this. I mean I don't think it's an act of aggression, but I don't know. How do you, how do you understand how do you understand their intention in <laughs> yeah. We've opened up a whole set of things here that I've never thought about before, which is like the stalker model of discipleship, (laughs) where you're just like, (laughs) I'm going to follow that guy and see what that guy's up to. Yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) honestly, I think that the the two ways, I don't know about the stalker thing. Like maybe maybe I'm going to leave that aside for just a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the two levels on which that could be read, the one, the sort of very human level Mm -hmm. about like, why are you following me? Which could be an invitation, like, are you looking for something? Mm-hmm. But it could also be like, a, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. So in this very human interaction, there's this kind of very human response. But the way that you intoned it the first time, like, what are you looking for? To me is 
there's a spiritual component to that. Like you're lacking yeah. something. And so you must be following me because there is something that you are hoping for that you do not yet have. And I think that gospel of John does this kind of a lot where it's yep. on one level, it's working just in a straight ahead narrative about human events. And on another, sometimes subtle, sometimes kind of in your face level, it's working on this whole spiritual thing. And we saw that with sort of the word made flesh mm-hmm. uh, back in the prologue. This is, I think, kind of an enactment of that. Like there's a spiritual thing happening, but it's happening in the context of a fairly mundane human mm-hmm. interaction. Yeah, no, I love that. And you can sort of, you can understand it on either level or both levels at the same time. Yeah, for me, it's always both levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, like, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I think that's, I think that I, mean, I don't know that I understand it on both <laughs> levels all the time, but I, I think about it. Like I, I ponder it on both levels. Yeah. Something about this scene made me think back to the passage we read in Isaiah, the last one. I think it was 55. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It didn't actually make me think to the passage of Isaiah. It made me think of the analogy that, or the image that popped to my head when I read that passage. I remember we had some sort of off the cuff conversation about like picturing your, the phrase in the text was incline your ear. Oh yeah. And, and we had, I had some image in my head of like being sort of in a noisy cocktail party and hearing this, yeah. hearing one voice and deciding to tune into that. Yeah. And then I think in that text too, there was also oh, a, and then follow, Yeah, you know, like incl- tip your ear and listen and then go. Like you yeah. have to actually follow God. And so I don't know if the narrative lectionary is intentionally like pulling on that, but it's, I mean, this doesn't seem to me like the obvious thing you would do. If yeah. your teacher, like they're disciples of John. Right. If your teacher said, hey, look, there's the lamb of God. I would ask my teacher a follow-up question. Yeah. But they don't. They like totally reorient and just follow follow the new guy. Yeah, they're just done. Like <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of the end of I think that's the last time John is actually mentioned in this gospel. <laughs> like wow. he says, "Hey, there's there he is." And then the disciples are just like, "Off we go." I love that connection wow. to Isaiah 55, Amy, and you know what that Isaiah 55 text is doing for sure is saying the the word of the Lord, like the rain, goes out into the world and does its thing. And it has that incline your ear and listen to the word, like hear what I'm saying. And so if Jesus is the word, I don't know if the narrative lectionary or the gospel of John are trying to make that exact connection to Isaiah 55, but I think it's a really rich connection that, that you've made anyway. Mm. Incline your ear to the word, and here is the word walking around, and they oh, yeah. incline their ear. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. He's <laughs> the word walking around. I keep, I'm still working on that <laughs> metaphor, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's one of those ones you work on for a long time. I love to, I've, I was really struck by the fact that we, I mean, John basically just said this the day before, you know, that, yeah. that, the last scene we had, yeah. and I remember we did, I asked the question, like, who is he talking to? Like, the, yeah. are the Jewish authorities still there? Is he yeah. talking to himself? Are there, is there a crowd? And, you know, we sort of hypothesized yeah. there are probably other people around. And this is being said for our benefit as readers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But nothing, nothing happens plot-wise. Like, John says, there's the Lamb of God. And then John explains a little bit. Yeah. 
But then this time, it's like the same thing happens again, but there's a clear audience and an action that happens afterwards. Yeah. No, it is kind of interesting the way it's told narratively because you do get the timestamps. So the next Mm -hmm. day in verse 29 and then the next day in verse 35. So the image is on one day, Jesus walks by and John says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then like 24 hours go by and then he's like, oh, there he is again. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of interesting that he doesn't, (laughs) yeah. And so the, the question of like, who was there you know, one of the ways of reading it, which is I'm sure not the only way to read it, is that back in verse 29 in that little paragraph, well, I don't know, I was going to say the engagement is still with the Jewish authorities who do not follow. And then in verse 35, it's possible, it's just not stated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also think that maybe the disciples here are acting on when he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. It seems to me like they've got in the back of their heads what Jesus had said, I mean, what John had said. Mm-hmm. previously, so they don't need mm-hmm. a follow-up. I mean, they didn't get a whole lot, like the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So maybe they were there listening. I, it's just curious to me yeah. that they don't follow the first time, they follow the, yeah. the second time, but maybe that's yeah. just a narrative a narrative, a narrative necess- you know, necessity. Um, the way that you said that just made me think about, you, okay, so I think I've told you already that I'm doing this training of like, having tense conversations with people who have really different perspectives than you do. And we've met several times now and they split us up into groups each time to have these tense conversations. And we met again yesterday. And, and what was so striking to me in the conversation was that many people in the group talked about how they had been thinking about something that someone else in the group said last time. Huh. And and sort of were now huh. and had been affected by it and were now able to mm-hmm. speak more clearly what they meant or or they wanted to clarify something they said before. Like yeah. sometimes I think there is something to don't try to you don't have to do the whole thing in one I sitting. Love that. Yeah. Like you can have the 24 hour why don't you sleep on it? I'm gonna tell you about the Lamb of God. This is big <laughs> news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then go sleep on it and you know, maybe tomorrow you'll be ready to pop up and I love that. Follow. Yeah, the expectation that you would just be like, hey, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you're like, here I go. Like, seems pretty unreasonable when you say it that way. But the sort of let it sink in a minute. And then, I mean, you might think like, oh, now I get it. Or at the very least, you might think, I wish I had taken that opportunity when I had it. Mm. And now the opportunity presents itself again. And, and off you go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Off you go at least to learn more. Like it doesn't, right. this quest, Jesus's question, what are you looking for? And then their response, are you res- surprised by their, what do you make of that whole exchange? Yeah. The, their response w- with another question, where yeah. are you staying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Where are you staying is another one of these things that reads on a very mundane level. Where mm-hmm. are you, you know, spending the night tonight, I guess? Yeah. One has the impression that maybe Jesus doesn't have his own place. You know, he's like a couch surfer. And so the question of, you know, like, where are you staying? Has that just kind of sense of like, while you're in town, like, where are you, you know, spending the nights? But that word staying, 
uh, which is also translated elsewhere in this gospel as abiding, is mm. a really rich theological word in the gospel of John. So like, I abide in the Father and the Father abides in me, or the Spirit and Jesus abide together. So it has this whole other spiritual level about like, to whom do you belong? Or like, where is your, you know, your home base? Yeah. And it can mean that sort of like, what house are you staying in? But it can also mean it like, what is your connection to these spiritual realities, which we know something about, but which we maybe we have not fully understood. I love that. I love that. But the, the response of a question with a question is, I mean, really mm-hmm. interesting. Classic. I know. You know, I, I sensed the sort of multivalence of the question, what are you looking for? But I did not sense the multivalence of, of this question. And mm-hmm. that really, that adds a lot to it. I think I, I was experiencing it sort of as like, <laughs> I don't know, like almost like abject curiosity, like mm. what kind of bed sheets does the Messiah have? Like, yeah. what, you know, like let's yeah. go see his place. But yeah. also maybe more like, we don't actually know what we're looking for. We want to be around you, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. I have a a friend who is Catholic and goes to adoration sometimes. It's adoration. Protestants don't do adoration, right? Do no, we're no, no. Okay, so and so, it's the idea that you are. I hope I don't get this totally wrong. That that you are, you know, sitting in in the chapel or in a space with the consecrated host that is like actually Mm -hmm. understood to be Jesus. Like it's a very, there's a real physicality to it. Yeah. And so you can just, you know, spend, you know, sort of take a shift (laughs) staying there in that space. And I think, I think my understanding from her is that sometimes people bring particular prayers or questions, but sometimes they kind of don't even have words for what. Yeah they're looking for. They just want to be in that presence. So this made me think of that a little bit. Like I we just love want to go so sit with you. Yeah. <laughs> so the, what are you looking for? And I love that Amy so much. They don't have an answer to that question in any kind of specific way. What they know is they want to be near. Mm-hmm. And so they say, where, you know, where are you staying? We're going to go there. I don't right. know why I'm going there. I just want to be there. Yeah. There, I love that. And then in, in like classic, maybe there's no like classic gospel form, classic Bible form. I don't even know what it is. We get no information about what actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Although we get it, it was at four o'clock in the afternoon. Like, I love that it, in this text. Like, I we don't have any idea where that. Jesus went, but we know exactly what time it was. <laughs> Why do we love that so much? No, I mean, I love it too. Yeah. Why do we love it? Here's my, I'm spinning this out off the top of my head. Let's do it. John wants you to know that he is paying attention to detail. So he's giving you enough details that you know he knows it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And he could have given you more detail if he had wanted to about where Mm -hmm. Jesus physically is staying. But instead, what he wants you to notice is they remained with him. Yes. Which is related to what you were just saying about adoration. So what matters is not where they went. What matters yeah. is that they're with him. But it's not just that I'm overlooking this because I can tell you that it's four o'clock. Yeah. That's where I go. What do yeah, you think about no, that? I like that. And it's not even not even just that we don't know where exactly they went. We don't know what 
whatever was so compelling that happened that yeah. they stayed for the whole day. Yeah. We don't know what they talked about or what they did or what. Yeah. We don't know anything. Yeah. But it must have been good. Yeah. This idea of come and see, I feel like is also the kind of thing mm. that's going to develop in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. The Gospel of John, in a way that I think is a little different than the Synoptic Gospels, uses Jesus's miracles or signs, as John tends to call them, as evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. So I've yeah. shown you these signs so that you may believe. There's a connection in the Gospel of John between seeing and believing which I think is probably also there in the other gospels, but it's not quite so explicit. So when Jesus yeah. says, come and see, like if you just come and see, you will you will stay. And so we don't know what they have seen, but we know that it was an, it was compelling enough for them for them to, to stay with him. You know, I kind of love that uh, so, sort of like as a message to the reader also, like yeah. I'm not going to explain it to you. Yeah. You actually have to, do your own version of come and see. Yeah. I love. I mean, it's frustrating, but I also love it. I think that's exactly right. Because, you know, the prologue has tried to explain to the reader, (laughs) right? And we got (laughs) really confused about, wait, what does that mean? Yeah. And so now it's much more just like, just, I mean, just come and see for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, should we go on? I got a couple of things here. One is just that the text is taking the time to translate. So it gives us oh, words in yes. Hebrew or in Aramaic. So yes, yes, rabbi, thank you. and then it translates it as teacher. We're going to get another translation later of Messiah and one of uh, Cephas, Kephas. Yeah. Do you make anything of that? Like why give the words in one language and transliterate it into Greek? Yeah, I have questions about it. I yeah. mean, my main question I think is who is – the audience, yeah, you know that it's that it's important to use the Aramaic, but that there's no assumption that the audience is going to understand right. the Aramaic. Yeah, so if you were thinking, you could just have given it in the Greek. Yeah. So there's some reason why the Aramaic is important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, clearly I mean, not I mean, everyone speaks Aramaic because right. you had to translate it into Greek. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and then I don't. I mean, at that time, would we assume that Jews? spoke Aramaic and other people didn't speak Aramaic. I don't even know if that's a fair, I mean, that sort of is my assumption that Jews would speak Aramaic and Greek. So my distinction is Jews in the land probably spoke Aramaic. Mm -hmm. Jews in the diaspora probably spoke Greek. Mm -hmm. And some people in both places were probably, probably bilingual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, I think when you're saying we've got to translate this into Greek, you're saying to the extent that there are Jews in this community, they are diaspora Jews, not mm-hmm. Palestinian Jews. Yeah. But he's also right. going to go on to explain things like the ritual of hand washing that Jews do before meals and things like that later on. Right. So it's clearly there are people in the community who do not understand the practices of Judaism. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. He definitely has some some of the audience here, some of the intended audience is not Jewish or is not up on Jewish stuff. But his use of Torah and sort of rabbinic Mm -hmm. modes of interpretation suggests that the author anyway is deeply familiar with Jewish tradition. So it creates a whole set of, yeah, I don't quite know how you resolve it. I I think it's either that we have a mixed community Mm -hmm. 
of former, well, I don't know if they're former Jews, but non-Messianic Jews who are now yeah. Messianic Jews and former Gentiles who don't understand. So we're forming a new community, I think is probably how I would put it together. Yeah. But I think there are probably other ways one could put it together. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting to me about this section is only interesting in light of the synoptic gospels. So if you have in the back of your head the stories of the calling of the disciples in the synoptics, there it's James and John in their boats fishing. In one way or another, Jesus comes by while they're fishing. They leave their boats and they follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is not that at all. We don't know the names of these two disciples. Mm-hmm. They're not fishing. They're hanging out with John the Baptist. John points them to Jesus instead mm-hmm. of Jesus calling them. Mm-hmm. And then they follow him. You know, they're not leaving their boats behind. They're leaving their rabbi behind. They're, they're leaving their right. religious leader they're behind. They're leaving their teacher, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's some recognizable similarities, right? They they're doing a thing. Jesus comes by. They stop doing the thing and they and they follow. But the differences are pretty important, I think, especially in my mind, the leaving behind of one's previous religious understanding and moving on. Like as soon as they see Jesus and John seems to give his approval to say. Oh, I mean, I think yeah. John suggests that they should. Yeah. Why are you following me? There's one greater than me coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And at least at this point in the story, it's not clear to me that they're like leaving their life behind and following him forever. Yeah. Like they Yeah. They followed him and spent the day with him. Yeah, I like that. Come you and know? see. Yeah. yeah. It's not a commitment here. It mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's really I, I don't quite know what to do with that, but I really like that. So like a a lower bar then you sometimes think of like they do stay. Right. They do but stay, the, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there's not like a leave your life behind, make your decision right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a little bit a way that they can kind of wade into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like curiosity is enough. I don't know why I'm following. Why are you following me? I don't know. <laughs> right? Like that's good enough. <laughs> I want to like see that. your place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just really curious. Like where the yeah. Lamb of God, you know, is staying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's all I had to say about that section. Okay, good. No, I'm really glad that. I'm glad that we lingered on that a little bit longer. Okay, so I'm picking up then in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So now we find out who these guys were, these disciples. We find out who one of them was. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We only find out who one of them was. Yeah. That's weird. It only tells us who one of them was. Yeah. That is weird. That's weird. You, well, you want to do anything with happens. that? Textual detail that is not well, clear what one should know. do with it? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it is a weird little detail. And, you know, I like, I like it. And I also like that Peter is the third disciple Mm -hmm. and he is introduced into the disciple group by Andrew Mm -hmm. instead of being one who sees Jesus on his own and just sort of hops on board, so to speak, as in some of the earlier texts. Yeah. 
One way to think about it is that this gospel is decentering in some ways the identity of the core disciples. Mm. It does not talk about the 12. The gospel of John doesn't. The boundaries seem to be more porous. Their specific identities seem to be less crucial, which maybe has some openness about it. That you too could be an unnamed disciple who has an important role to play, even though nobody knows who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see how it would do that. And I can also see how it really clearly centers Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of yeah. in the same way that like John's going to give you some details and you might wonder about other things. Yeah. But you're not going to get that information. Yeah. Because it might be a distraction to you. Yeah. Oh, I think that's right. I like that a lot. This is not a story about James and John. Right. This is not actually a story about the disciples. This yeah. is a story about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. We do find out clearly here that though we don't know whatever happened during the course of that day, whatever happened, Andrew at least came out pretty clear. We found the Messiah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's, that's big news. Yeah. No, it's huge news. And one of the things that's kind of interesting to pay attention to in this text is the titles that people use. For Mm -hmm. Jesus. And so we saw rabbi, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. when they first talked to him, they Mm -hmm. called him rabbi, which means teacher. Now Mm -hmm. they're calling him Messiah, which has a different connotation to it. We don't quite know exactly what connotation at at this moment, but they have gone from thinking, here's a, here's a teacher to thinking here is a singular kind of teacher who is the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The one and only anointed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, Again, like at that time, they that may not have been an understanding that there was divine status. I don't know. Right. But the anointed one was like the the cho- the leader for the people who has been chosen by God. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So he one could very well, and indeed the expectation would have been that the Messiah is a human person, mm-hmm. maybe who is also a rabbi. And so there's nothing particularly shocking that has happened yeah. in that way at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, like, pretty much immediately renames Simon. <laughs> yeah. He just looks well, him first, over. Yeah. He, right. He looks him over. He knows who he is. Yeah. Which I assume he just, like, know, you know. Yeah. It's like a special power of the Messiah. To, yeah. <laughs> to, he's got, like, a, you know, visual uh, Rolodex of everybody and knows who everybody yeah. is. And then he immediately renames him. Yeah. I mean, I can think back to, you know, stories in the Hebrew Bible where people are renamed, but I don't know if it's the same kind of resonance going on mm. here. What, uh, how, what, what do you think of this? When you think of people being renamed in the, in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. what, who comes to mind first for you? First? That comes to mind is Sarah and Abraham, who are first Sarai and Avram. Yeah. And then more famously, maybe, I don't know, Jacob is renamed Israel. Yeah. Although he continues to be called both of them, which. uh, It's very confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Which is confusing. Although in some ways, does Simon can. Is, Uh, Is he referred to as Simon Peter after this or is he just Peter? You know. I would have to actually go and look and see what John okay, does. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. In the other Gospels, he is sometimes called Peter, sometimes called Simon, and sometimes called Simon Peter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So that's more like the Jacob Israel situation. Yeah. Like he is renamed. Yeah. And in this, you know, pretty symbolic way. But in that story, it's after something like Jacob has had a significant experience mm-hmm. with God. And here, nothing really has happened. Yeah. He's just renamed. Yeah. And the Abraham, Sarah name change happens in the context of the covenant has been given, but it's not clear that it's going to happen. And so God does the renaming as sort of a sign of future future things. Yeah. It's a mark of a promise in some way or something like that. To me, that's really important. And so for Sarah and for Abraham, it's a mark of a future reality. For Jacob, it's a mark of a future reality. I think for Simon to be renamed Peter is a mark of a future reality that, you know, maybe has an historical basis in the church's experience that Simon, Peter, is going to become one of the most significant sort of early Christians post-Jesus on whom the church is founded. And so that idea of Peter being the rock, you know, so I think that Peter in that way fits into that set of Mm -hmm. identities of name changes. Jesus does this of his own accord, which I also think fits with those other stories. I don't quite know, but the Jacob story, Jacob sort of, I don't know if he earns it exactly, but he like, he does a thing where he wrestles. And I guess Sarah and Abraham do too. So maybe it's the, the thing that stands out to me in this one is Jesus just sees the guy, doesn't ask who he is, just he tells him who he is. He knows who he is. And then he changes his name. And knows what his future is going to be. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some like something here about Jesus's foreknowledge as well as Simon's later identity. I want to ask in what way he's rock-like, but I think that's probably not a question for this text right now. That is a question (laughs) for the future. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I name you rock and on this rock, I will build my church. And there's mm-hmm. this whole idea about you you build your house on the rock, not on the sand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's in the background here, but maybe not. And it may just be that, you know, the historical Jesus historically had a disciple who everybody called the rock, <laughs> you know, like smell what he's cooking, <laughs> right? Um, and so that everybody's got to explain that somehow. Like, what was, I don't know what was up with that. But anyway, yeah, we don't get any it detail is, about that here. But it is very interesting that, it, you know, if that's what is is in mind, that, you know, this will be the rock upon which the church is built. Like, this is this person is going to be the, you know, proverbial solid ground. Yeah. That he doesn't—he either does nothing to deserve it or yeah. Jesus just knows his character yeah. already. And, yeah. you know, so it's predetermined. But he—yeah. No, I think that's you know, right. And, you know, thinking back to Abraham— uh, you and I, I think, read that story a little differently, maybe. But the way that I read that Abraham story and, and the transition of Genesis 11 to Genesis 12 is that Abraham has done nothing and mm-hmm. God makes a promise that Abraham then lives into. But yeah. there was nothing in there that called God's attention. Yeah. Or, yep. Mm-hmm. There's nothing Abraham did in order to call God's attention. Maybe there was something that God saw that we don't have access to. And the same right. thing is happening here. This, right. this right. major future promise is being given to someone for no obvious reason. Mm-hmm. Right. No reason we're aware of. Yep. I wonder if Andrew is jealous. <laughs> I know, right? Like you discovered the guy <laughs> and you bring <laughs> you bring your brother. <laughs> I choose you. Yeah. Like what? 
Oh man, I should have just oh, like left my my stinking brother. I know. Brother. I shouldn't have shown you my Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well. That's funny. I wish we we should do a little. Yeah, we should write a play about that. That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Be good. I you are Andrew, and I ain't building nothing on you. <laughs> that'd be the name. That'd be the name of our play. Uh, poor Andrew. All right. Anything else you want to add about this section? I don't think so, actually. I mean, we already discussed the uh, the translation issue. Yeah. Right, which comes up again here. So it just sort of underscores that. But I, I think it would be the same conversation. Yeah. Okay. So then I'm going to read the whole rest of our section in one fell swoop. Let's do it. Okay. Picking up in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's my favorite line, by the way. (laughs) Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's Whoa. a lot going on. I there. <laughs> there was a lot from like, yeah. and then they hung out with Jesus for the afternoon yeah. and we'll never know what happened. Then, yeah, yeah there, there, is, there is a lot in here. Yes. Okay, where to start? So there's a shift here now in that, you know, you pointed out before that in in the synoptic gospels, Jesus starts out getting disciples by asking them yeah. to follow him. And that's not where this starts, but it goes there pretty quickly. Right? Now yeah. Jesus is is finding folks and saying, Follow me. That's interesting because he does Jesus does call Philip that way. But then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. That's right. It's a mix. So we've got this theme here, which I think is not the case in the synoptics where disciples are sort of recruiting their friends and family. Mm-hmm. But we've also got this thing where Jesus is, is calling at least Philip on his, on his own. And it's also interesting that Philip is from the same town that Andrew and Peter are from. So we've got this kind of mm. hometown Galilee, Bethsaida thing happening here. Like one gets the sense that all these guys sort of know each other already. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting because I was thinking, you know, about the difference between having your teacher, your spiritual leader uh, yeah. point someone out to you and then you decide to follow them versus yeah. like some guy that they don't, you know, presumably, as far as I can tell, Philip doesn't know. Yeah. Doesn't know Jesus from Adam. But Jesus says, follow him, and he does. And then again, like we don't know how all it goes down, but he's he's very quickly compelled, you know, and 
willing to 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 confess, I guess, willing to yeah. witness, I don't know the right terminology to other yeah. people, we have found we found the guy that is described in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting too because, you know, when Philip is talking to Nathaniel about why he should follow, he uses the same come and see that Jesus mm-hmm. had used with the unnamed disciples earlier. Mm-hmm. And so you really get the sense that like there is something to see when you go and see, right? Like yeah. it, it happens really fast and people spend a day with Jesus and they're like, oh yeah, this is this is the oh, one. Oh, I get it. Right, mm-hmm. I get it. I'm really glad you pointed out that come and see before because I didn't, it didn't stand out to me when I read it on my own, but having just talked about it with you, it did stand out to me. Yeah. The other thing you're making me think about is that, you know, so now we've got sort of three, three, at least three different entry points into being a disciple follower, like a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. One is your teacher says, there's the lamb of mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Two is your friend says, hey, we found this guy. And mm-hmm. three is Jesus says, follow me directly to you. That's and right. So it's, I like that, you know, like in the synoptics, you kind of get this sense of like, Jesus either calls you or he doesn't. Yeah. But here it's like, you got some options. There's, there's, it's not a cookie cutter way of becoming a disciple. You've got some options about how it happens. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's common is come and see you, however you get there, pay attention and then, and you'll get it. I think yeah. that's really interesting in this gospel. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I, I was just thinking as you were talking that while it's Philip that he calls directly, we actually hear a whole lot more about Nathaniel than Philip. And so I don't know, it just has me thinking about the various paths that we each have, you know, in our spiritual lives and, and what we need and who we need to bring us in and, and, you know, me, and certainly, you know, Peter winds up being really important. Yeah. And here Nathaniel is maybe the, takes up more words on the page, at least at this point. But both of them have to be called in by someone else, by a you know a brother or yeah, or a friend. I love that connection. Nathaniel's kind of an interesting one because he is not mentioned anywhere in the Synoptic Gospels. He's not listed in the hmm. in the disciple lists, and so we don't know we don't really know anything about him from anywhere else. Which is kind of I mean going back to that idea that John doesn't really have a twelve. Yeah, and so it's just people. But you're exactly right. He gets he gets a lot of text relative to some of these other folks. Like Philip doesn't get really anything. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because Nathaniel's first response is like, what are you even talking about? Like his response it it just makes me think of like a person from New York saying like, can anything good come out of Jersey? Like yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. It's just real frank. But Jesus seems to well, okay, I don't know. Then this this statement that Jesus makes here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Do yeah. you connect that to his very frank assessment of <laughs> Nazareth? I had not until just now, but, uh, but I, I love that. Like, well, here's a guy who says honesty. what he thinks. Yeah. yeah, he does say what he thinks. Because if you're like, here's my friend, Bobby, he's from Little Rock. And somebody was like, what good ever happened in Little Rock? <laughs> like, I know. You do not, <laughs> that's just not something you say when you meet somebody. Maybe but Nathaniel says it and Jesus is like, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of thought that Jesus has some prior knowledge or something here, but I, but I love that I interpretation. I mean, he does also seem, you know, clearly he has prior knowledge, but. <laughs> I love that interpretation that Nathaniel just speaks his mind and Jesus appreciates that. He's not going to try to pull one over on you. He's just going to tell you. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Do you read an edge 
to that statement, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Like a sort of anti-Jewish edge or not? Well, now that you've said it that way. <laughs> you know, but I will I tell you, I, I, I did not Oh, interesting. First, yeah. But there is a, a footnote in my text that this was a little bit of a jab. You're reading Adele Reinhardt's John commentary in the Jewish Annotated New Testament? Yeah. Is that, is yep. that what you're working with? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's interesting. If you don't read it with an edge, like what, like what, how did you read it? I really read it in, in response to his, uh, as like the most positive spin on his sort of rude candor. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is, this is a guy who speaks his mind. Yeah. I didn't read it as a, as an assessment of other Israelites yeah. being deceitful people. What did, did you do anything with the word Israelite there? Like there are other words you could use there. There uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I will tell you what the, my commentary suggests that this is a reference specifically to Jacob. Oh. And Jacob's deceit of his brother, you know, back in Genesis. And we are going to get another reference to Jacob, a Jacob story later in this paragraph. So, so maybe. Yeah. And, you know, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And also like at, at that time, you wouldn't have called the people in the story Jews. It was really a whole different religion, Israelite religion. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Do think about that. No, I think that's really interesting. Israelite stands out to me as a New Testament reader because you don't, re- it's a little bit of an anachronism. Yeah. And elsewhere, John talks about the Jews and as we, mm-hmm. t- I think, talked about yeah, a last lot. time the time before, it's almost always negative. Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. fact that he chooses to use a different word when he says something, at least relatively positive, mm-hmm. is kind of like there's something going on in that choice. Yeah. That's but very I, interesting. I do think you're exactly right that he is, you know, it is possible for people to both be Israelites or Jews and also be people that Jesus respects and admires. Mm-hmm. but he's not going to call you a Jew, or at least John, John is not going to call you a Jew. You a Jew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so th- to me, therein lies the edge, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I tend to read it the way you did. What Jesus is actually commenting on is here's a guy who speaks his mind, and I appreciate that. Right. Right. Not like right. he's the only Jew I've ever met. <laughs> right, not as opposed to all the other Israelites. Yeah, who's not deceitful. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you, one could read it that way, and I think there's a really, you know, a dangerous. Probably a lot of dangerous sermons have been preached out of that. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that it's that you know form of prejudice that we see against many communities. It's just part of the way prejudice works. Is that it's almost like the exception proves the rule. Like, exactly. You know, the fact yeah. that you can find one exception doesn't mean that you then accept that. Oh yeah. my, <laughs> my prejudice was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this is, okay, I think this is a little bit of a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Here we go. Ready for my okay, dumb yeah. question? Mm-hmm. Why is Nathaniel convinced by the fact that Jesus says, I saw you under a fig tree? <laughs> Even Jesus thinks that's a little weird. <laughs> Wait, why do you think Jesus thinks it's weird? 
Because then Jesus says, uh, do, you do you believe, believe I, told I saw you, you under the fig right. tree? <laughs> because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Like, yeah. it gets a lot better than that. Yeah. Like, how does, I don't know. That's weird. The fig tree thing is weird uh, just in general. And, you know, like one way to read it is just like, I was walking around and I saw you standing under a fig tree. And that's how I knew who you are. You know, you always get a sense of like <laughs> Jesus right. heard, Jesus. overheard or something. Some people have suggested, I'm not sure I'm at all convinced by this, but that Jesus had some sort of powers of premonition, right? So he was not actually at the fig tree, but he sort of had a vision of him at the fig tree. And so he knew. Mm. Mm-hmm. It is also possible to read the fig tree metaphorically or symbolically as either a sign of the eschaton or, as you know, in Jewish texts of around this period or maybe a little bit later, the fig tree was sometimes thought of as like a representative of the Torah, gathering yeah. the fruit of the figs, related yeah. to the tree of life maybe, which might have been a fig tree, not an apple tree. So, you know, the way that I make the most sense of it is... Jesus is using this as a way of saying that Nathaniel is really deeply invested in the Torah mm, and I, and he knows mm-hmm. that about him. Um, so I saw you under the fig tree means I know that you know your Torah. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know why I tend to think that way and rather, rather than one of the other options. What, no, what I love hearing, I love hearing you talk about that because again, you're pointing how you're pointing out how John points in at two different planes. Yeah. At least two different planes. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. So if you if you read it as you know on a more mundane sort of physical material level for me what what I get from that is almost like this it's so logically silly <laughs> yeah. that you you it's not worth arguing with because it's so easy to argue with. Yeah. And so, again, it sort of goes to this idea, like, I am not going to provide you the argument here. Like, you're going to have to come and see. I'm yeah. not, like, I'm not, I'm not arguing a case for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. But I really like that. I really like that it also gestures towards this other much, much deeper understanding of who Nathaniel is as a human in this coded language that maybe only the two of them understand. You know, I... I don't know. I like that. I like that possibility. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too when Philip talks to Nathaniel back in verse 45, the way he explains who Jesus is is he's the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And so there too mm-hmm. is the sense of if you've read the Torah, you you know what I'm talking about. And the fact that Philip approaches Nathaniel that way suggests also that Nathaniel is deeply in, embedded in that scripture. Yeah. Do you have a sense of what that, like, what that actually means? This is who Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets? I'm sure I should know the answer to that question. Oh, I don't know that there is an, an answer Well, to I mean, question. so, I mean, I think it's it's two different things. It's who Moses wrote about in the Law and also the Prophets. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Moses. We talked last time, I think, about the idea of, like, a prophet-like yeah. Moses, you know, rising yeah. up again. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I would have to go back and check the reference and see if I could make better sense of it. But there's definitely some idea in John that that that's happening. Although I'm thinking back now to that previous passage we read together where John said, like, no, I'm not Elijah. Like, I know that you think that these references in the text 
are whatever, but I'm this other thing in the Hebrew Bible. And so I don't know it. Whenever there are these, these like references thrown in that are not specifically, you know, given that the okay by Jesus, I'm like, are they understanding it correctly? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Although the way it's written makes it sound like the prophets wrote about Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, which is, you know, not by name. (laughs) No, that's right. right. Yeah. We found that guy and it is this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably how that, that would be read. No, I think you're right. There's sort of a general sense of like, hey, anything that you read in the Torah and the prophets that seems to be gesturing forward toward a future figure, that's probably, that's this guy. That's this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there are probably some specific references. That one from Deuteronomy that you're talking about, the prophet like Moses who will come after me. Yeah. And we talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about the possibility of some reference to the the suffering servant in that Lamb mm-hmm. of God yep, language. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some specific instances that, you know, probably are in the background here. But the general sense is if you've read your Hebrew scripture, you know what right. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. It's interesting to me, too, on this issue of Nathaniel kind of being, I don't know that Nathaniel's a doubter, but he's definitely a little bit of a skeptic. And at the end of the gospel, we're going to get Thomas, who is also a little bit of a skeptic. And, you know, Jesus is going to say, you have seen and believe, but blessed is the one who does not see and yet believes. And so you mm-hmm. kind of get a little bit of a pretaste mm-hmm. of that right here. Like you saw because of the, you believe because of the fig tree, but there's so much more than that. So it's interesting that the, the gospel is in, in a sense bracketed by these two skeptical disciples who are commended. I'm glad you got it, but like, <laughs> like there's more to get than what yeah. you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I feel like these last couple verses just, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot in here. Yeah. So I don't know if we can roll these into one conversation, but the two pieces of it that feel really compelling to me are, Verse 49, where we get these two statements juxtaposed, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Yeah. And then Jesus himself who says, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Yeah. You know, upon upon Jesus, Uh which... I as as far as I can tell is a reference to the story where Jacob has a dream and there's some kind of ladder escalator situation yeah. and the text says like God was in this place and I didn't know it and the angels are ascending and descending this yeah. structure. I think that's probably the right connection. Yeah. And so but you if, have I think you have more to say about it than that. Well no, I'm you? just curious about what like so Jesus is being described in some way in light of this ladder to heaven or staircase or escalator. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's probably right. But then, but then the next question is like, oh, but what do you do with that? What do you <laughs> so, do with that? So I that's know. my question oh, to you is what do you do with that? And I was trying to sort of like spin some of that out in my mind. Like the ladder itself doesn't actually get a whole lot of play in that yeah. story. There is a... I, I don't know. It's just like this, you know, a sense that there's a point of connection. There's not this, yeah. you know, f- there's not this um, <laughs> iron curtain. I don't know why that's yeah. the word that came into my mind, but there's not this absolute separation between heaven yeah, and earth. Actually, that. there is mm-hmm. movement between them. And in the Jacob story, 
it's happening in this totally mundane place. And so you don't get a sense, or at least I don't get a sense that it could only happen here. Yeah. It just does happen here. And that was surprising to Jacob. Yeah. So if you think about Jesus being the ladder, mm. it's just a really interesting metaphor. Like we've already got the the lamb, like maybe the sacrificial mm-hmm. lamb, maybe the suffering servant lamb. We've got a king, we've got a son of God, mm-hmm. and we've got a ladder that is conducting like divine electricity, basically. Yeah. A rabbi, Messiah. A rabbi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of different ways of accessing this. Yeah. I love what you're saying there. And, you know, I think that's right that the ladder is connecting heaven and earth. It has pierced the boundary between heaven and earth, and the angels have been able to go up mm-hmm. and down. And Jacob has an encounter with God. And so if Jesus is that, then now Jesus is the connection point between heaven and earth. The boundary has been pierced. And, you know, God's spirit comes up and down. The angels come up and down. God, you know, you, you can peer into the heavens through this Jesus and see what's going on up there. Yeah. I like what you're saying about it can happen any place. I think that was clear in that Jacob text. And I think it, I like the way it plays out here too. Like there's nothing special about any particular place. Uh, but that boundary between heaven and earth can be crossed anytime. What I really love about extending it to Jesus in, in John's usage is, like you're saying, the ladder is kind of an impersonal thing. Not everybody gets a ladder experience, right? It seems like just something mm-hmm. that happened to Jacob. But what John is saying like, is if you meet Jesus, he is the ladder. He is a person who is walking and talking with you. And so that is sort of freely available. Come and see, right? So it makes that sort of boundary crossing just present in a way that I think is different, building on that Jacob story. That word boundary crossing just really struck me because as you were talking, I I think— I can see why systematic theology is so difficult, Bobby. (laughs) Because trying to put all these things together is just just hard. Yeah. Because thinking of the ladder makes me think like God is on the top of the ladder and the humans are on the bottom of the ladder and there's something that goes between them. It doesn't make me think the ladder is God and the ladder is human. Yeah. Like the ladder is something else in that other story. Yeah. But I guess that that's that. I don't know. It's it's really interesting to think about a ladder that is actually made up of of both. Like that is the boundary crossing. It's not yeah. that there's a connection. It's that there's something that is both. Yeah. I don't know. That's exactly right, Amy. Mm. And the systematic theology is hard. Is also exactly right. Mm. And John is not <laughs> systematizing, but he is no. after saying something really difficult. And what he has said is that Jesus is God. God is human, and the ladder is connecting them is Jesus. So Jesus is actually all three <laughs> characters. Yeah. You know, the ladder connects God and human. Well, Jesus is God. Jesus is human. Jesus is ladder. Mm-hmm. And so there's no lo- like that. It really is doing something doing more something else. nuanced than what yeah. I was saying before. Yeah, it's not just that there's now a, a conduit. It is that the whole thing is now of a piece. Yeah. And Jesus is the connection point for all of that. Mm. 
It's like the the vortex, the nexus <laughs> yeah. of the universe. I don't even know what words I'm using. <laughs> yeah. I feel it feels more like sci-fi than yeah. um than like a ladder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Because I mean, this is the divine, the heavenly logos, you know, walking around in human form. Like that we're in some we're in yeah, some we are. metaphysical we are, you know, yes. complicated territory yes. for sure. Yes, yes. But I kind of love it. Like it's it's just so like mind bending. Yeah. And it's I don't know, it's like delightfully impossible to fit it all together in a totally yeah. logical way, which is yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about this last chunk for longer, and yet I also feel like it's almost time for us to offer some some sort of like zooming out thoughts. Yeah. Are you ready to move towards that? I think so. Ready to zoom? Yeah. Okay, Bobby. You have a lot of choices. I feel like <laughs> this is like um, I know. like spin the prize wheel in a yeah. game show. What's rising to the top for you yeah. today? No, I I try to do this thing when we when we do the podcast where I don't know what this last piece is going to be. We talk about this every once in a while, and I just kind of like to see where the conversation goes and and then see what what we can pull together. And today I'm like, oh, that might have been a mistake because <laughs> like we've we've stirred up some rich. We stirred I up think, a lot, but I don't I don't know what to to do with it exactly. Here's where here's where I get to. I think what I love in this story is you've got this complicated reality that we were just talking about, right? Where the the God-human ladder is like connecting all the things together. And the reality of that is hard to get your head around in, in any way at all. But the actual entry points into encountering that are actually very simple, right? It's your teacher mm-hmm. says, hey, you should pay attention to that. Or your brother says, hey, (laughs) I met this guy. Or your friend says, hey, there's, you know, we've been talking about this thing in the scriptures and I know like I have met somebody. And so the invitations, and then there's Jesus saying, follow me, which is actually, I think, a kind of a minor emphasis in this text in an interesting kind of a way. Yeah. And there's a variety of responses among the people, right? The people come and say, Jesus says, what are you doing? And they're like, I don't know, but we just want to know where you live, <laughs> right? Or yeah. Pete or uh, Nathaniel's like, I don't even think anything good could come out of Nazareth. So the, the, uh, the responses are not these kind of overwhelming actions of faith. They're kind of like little micro moves. Like, I'll, I'll go. And yeah. Jesus encourages that. Come and see. And, like, that's all I'm asking. Come and see. And so I love that as a semi-skeptical disciple who has trouble putting all of the pieces together. Like, what do we mean when we say the divine logos is Mm -hmm. (laughs) walking around in human form? I I don't know. And so for me, I can then say, it doesn't matter necessarily that I can put all of that together. What matters is that I, with my community, come into the presence of this one and I just see what kind of stuff it produces Mm -hmm. and therein lies therein lies the proof it feels like a low bar to me it feels like a bar i could kind of get behind it does i mean it does i feel like in some of the other stories we've read there is a uh, in both in both the hebrew bible and the new testament there's there's sometimes like an urgency about like commit now do this thing yeah it's a little bit all or nothing-y 
like right now. Yeah. And yeah, like you, I'm really compelled by this sort of slower, like, come as you find me as you need to. Yeah. You know, that, that like little 24 hours between when John explained, this is what I mean by the lamb of God. And when people did anything with that information is really, uh, I don't know, rings true to my own way of being in the world. Yeah. I really, I love that. I love it. Yeah. I think the one other, one other thing that's sort of rising up for me, and I almost talked about this last time, but it just, maybe it's just a John thing and it's, and it's sort of pervasive is I'm kind of loving the lack of language or lack of precise language or lack of even really trying to really explain what's happening here. And, you know, I've been, I've been, I do children's education and, and adults education. And part of what I've been thinking about and learning about lately is the way in which we try to get our kids to talk about spirituality when they're so young and words might, language might not be the best way for them to, you know, actually swim in that pool and like figure things out. And so, you know, and I think while we get better at it, theoretically, as we get more used to it as adults, I think that I, I rely on it too much. And there are things that you just have to come and see and yeah. have to let wash over you. Yeah. And you just know things and you don't know why you know them. Yeah. And you can't argue someone else into it. It just is. Yeah. And so I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm appreciating that very much. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so instructive for Christian community or for whatever communities we we belong to that. I mean, it sounds sort of trite when I, when I say it in a way that it sounded profound when you say it, but like, uh, it's not what you say, but it's what you do. Like being able to articulate, you know, there's something to that, but what people see when they come into your community matters. Yeah. And, you know, part of part of what I've been worrying about in this podcast is what do people see when they encounter my community, but also sort of the Christian community more broadly. If you say come and see and they, and they do like, what do they see? And I, yeah, yeah, I mean, that puts a different kind of a a face on it in terms of like, what is the public witness that we're putting out there, both my community and also other communities that claim the same loyalties as I do. And if what, if what people will see there are not things that are reflective of the divine realities to which we are trying to point, then then we need to do something that's different. Yeah. Not just say something different. Right. We spend a lot of time thinking about words. I spend a lot of time thinking about words. I love words. Me too. But it's, it has limits. Yeah. And can be easily overturned by other things you would see. Yeah. Interesting stuff, Bobby. It is. Alrighty, so next week, we again get the luxury of just picking up on the next verse. Yeah. Which is chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, about a wedding. A wedding, yeah. I love a wedding. (gasps) I'm going to wear my wedding dress. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) lordy. (laughs) Yeah. 
Amy, the other thing that I'm noticing, which is not at all relevant, is that next week is John 2, 1 to 11. And then the week after that is John 2, 13 to 25. So on the whole gospel of John, we're skipping verse 12. We're not skipping 12. We are definitely going to read. We're going to do a whole special episode on chapter 2, verse 12. After this, Jesus and his mother, his brothers, and his disciples went down to Capernaum and stayed there for a few days. That's nice. Yeah, that's lovely. Why, Why would you skip that? (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's a typo maybe i typoed it when i put when i put together it's your typo i blame you i don't make typos (laughs) that's clearly not true some of the insane texts that i've sent you i sent you one the other day that was like totally oh my gosh the one that was (laughs) wait 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 we do actually have to tell people what this text was this was so good this was so good Oh, okay. So what, when we were rescheduling our podcast one time, I <laughs> told you what time we needed to be done, and you said you just had to check in with your wife to make sure that worked for your family situation. Yeah. And then you wrote, thumbs up for gunfire at 1230. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed about it for like three days. Thumbs up for gunfire. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to Arkansas, okay. I guess. That was... <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah fantastic thank mm-hmm. you autocorrect yeah all right friends well i'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs> we can't top that i'll see you next week it's good to talk bye y'all bye <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby. We're grateful to our many supporters for helping us keep the podcast going. Special thank you to our executive producer, Fox Valley Presbyterian Church in Geneva, Illinois, and to our newest sponsors, John Romig, Ruth Harder, Kendall Land, John Reasons, and Oh Captain, My Captain, John Weicker. Join us again next week for John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Until then, keep on digging.